Well, once again, good evening. Uh, great to be uh, with you. Uh, amazing that I can be some distance away, and those of you who are listening in your lounges or elsewhere, uh, trust that our time together over the uh, streaming will be of some benefit. And I thought tonight to start uh, by going to one of the uh, parts, one of the, the passages in Psalm 119, just as a prayer. We know, of course, Psalm 119 deals uh, a lot with uh, the Word and uh, the reality of, of, of God's Word in our lives as His children. And so do pray with me, and I'm going to do it from Psalm 119, verse 33. And the psalmist prays there, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law, and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my ear to your testimonies, and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise, that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. And so, Lord, we do pray that tonight with the psalmist as we approach uh, this study tonight, again, as we consider these uh, next verses, this next passage from the book of James. And, Lord, we pray that much uh, good will come, much fruit will be produced, and, Lord, ultimately, glory to your name. And uh, we are mindful of our need again tonight that uh, your spirit is the one that we are dependent on. He is our teacher, our counselor, our comforter, the one who convicts, the one who leads, the one ultimately applies all that Jesus has redeemed and accomplished in redemption on the cross. And so bless us and, and help us tonight, we pray. Amen. So with that uh, behind us, having prayed, I want us to turn to James and uh, continuing in the study tonight, we, we're going to look a little further. And uh, James chapter 2, and perhaps I could just go to the uh, opening slide, James chapter 2, verse 14 to 25. So if you do have your Bible, uh, let's have a look and just follow me as I read this passage to you. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So just so far that, that passage, uh, perhaps a controversial passage could be on, on a superficial level if one doesn't really look uh, at the context and, and, and the sense at which James is, is, is seeking to get to over here and probably some of the problems that uh, he was aware of amongst the people he was writing to. Now I do want to introduce this passage tonight and uh, ladies please forgive me but I, I want to use the analogy of thinking about cars. Uh, if you like cars and, and particularly powerful cars, if you know anything about these uh, powerful cars and particularly high performance cars, your ears, I know certainly my ears, are tuned in, tuned in to, to listen for powerful engines. Just love the sound of some of those uh, powerful cars. And, and uh, just down the road from us, there is a, a Porsche dealership. And I, I often hear these cars coming, uh, really screaming down Linwood Road. And uh, the sound of those engines, perhaps I could even say, is music to my ears. But I have, I confess, sometimes been mistaken thinking a particular car has got something uh, powerful under the hood. Uh, only to discover it had nothing more than just a hole in its exhaust. Now you know that of course, uh, popping a hole in the silencer, not having a silencer, uh, the engine sounds a lot more powerful than it actually is. And so the point I'm trying to make in this introduction, just thinking about uh, performance cars or high performance cars, is that in some instances you may find or you may think that there is a car that makes the right kind of noise, but it cannot and it does not perform. It is possible, and this is the point I'm trying to make, it is possible to be mistaken about the true inner abilities of an engine by just listening to what it sounds like. And so if you really want to know, if you really want to know what it can do, you've got to get behind the wheel. You've got to put it to the test and see whether in fact this engine is as powerful as you think or thought it was. Well, I want to make the application uh, tonight from tonight's passage, just thinking about that introduction, because it is also true that people make nice sounding noises about their professions of faith and Christianity, and just like you and me that could be mistaken about particular cars or a car's engine, it is possible to be mistaken about your faith. And so our very first point again tonight, and it almost seems as if uh, there's a, a broken record with the repetitive nature of this message as we work through the verses that have gone before, is constantly James is raising the issue that you can be mistaken about your faith which means this has to be an important issue. It must be an issue that we consider. It must be something that forces us to think about uh, our lives in the, in the light of the Word, in the light of what, what we are taught in, in different parts of the Bible, 
and uh, uh, as particularly on the issue of of our faith and and whether that faith is genuine or whether it is counterfeit. Well, what James does in this passage, again, he, uh, he produces a hypothetical man. He claims to be a Christian. But having made that claim, it appears that this man has no supporting evidence. He has no supporting evidence uh, regarding his faith. According to James, there are no deeds, there are no works. There is nothing to show that his claim is valid. So if you have a look at verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And so James is not arguing over here whether or not this person is saved through faith. This is not the issue. If we go back to Ephesians, we see, of course, there in chapter 2, the reality of, of uh, by grace through faith and, and, and this uh, not of yourself is, is, is a gift from God. That's not what he's disputing. He's not arguing against that. He's not disagreeing with the Apostle Paul. There is another question. The real question that he's asking is, can you automatically assume that your profession of faith or that a particular profession of faith is automatically real saving faith? Is it true that if someone just says they are a believer, that they are actually a believer? And James's arguing is, argument is no no you can't you cannot say that saving faith and this is the point he's making he's already made it and he's going to continue making it as we move on through this book is saving faith that which is brought about by the work of the holy spirit is always must always be followed by a new way of life and so conduct before conversion is different to conduct after conversion. And so how can a person, in fact, if you think about this uh, logically, it doesn't even make logical sense. How can a person be converted and not changed? Even if we go back to the analogy of the car, the thought that comes into my my head of you, if you take a, a 1300, a car with a 1300 engine, and you do a conversion by replacing that engine with a V8 or a V6, there will definitely be a different type of performance after the conversion takes place. And so in theological terms, it is a contradiction to think that a person claims to be converted and is not in some way a different person thereafter. I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. But we see, for example, a, a concept that I often quote from the book of Ezekiel, that uh, a heart of stone is changed, is replaced with a heart of flesh. A heart of stone will produce uh, certain types of, of evidence uh, showing that it is a heart of stone. And, and a heart of flesh uh, will also produce a different type of evidence, different type of fruit, again, indicating or pointing to uh, it being a heart of flesh. So the point that James is making, and, and remember that this is the word of God, God is showing us through James over here that genuine faith, the real thing that uh, we really need and, and must have 
in having a right standing with God is we must have genuine faith. But if we have it, it is never an empty thing. Genuine faith is fruitful in some way or another. And so true faith in Jesus, him being the only Savior, inevitably has a powerful transforming uh, consequence on your life. You won't think in the same way. You won't act in the same way. You won't be living out in the same way. There will be some kind of change. And so therefore, we need to see that James is saying here, it is possible to be mistaken about your faith. Fruitless faith, of course, loses credibility and invites the question, is this person really a believer? Which moves me on to the second question as James moves on over here and and now he makes it far more personal. And he asks the the question in essence, uh, is your faith authentic? And I have to ask myself that same question, is my faith authentic? And uh, we know in in the natural world, we can uh, certainly be looking at a particular fruit tree. Uh, Peaches, for example, if peach trees produce peaches, we know what the fruit ought to be when we plant a peach tree. We know what the fruit ought to be when we plant an apricot tree or a lemon tree. Uh, Any kind of tree will produce a certain fruit that comes from that particular tree. And so we ask ourselves then, what kind of fruit should be seen as a result of genuine faith. What, what kind of fruit should we see when there has been a conversion or a, a, a new heart having replaced the heart of stone? And so for you and me not to be deceived, what kind of evidence, what kind, even tonight, what kind of evidence could you be looking for, could I be looking for alongside of a profession? I have a profession of faith. I claim to be a believer. I claim to have accepted the Lord Jesus as my Savior. I claim to have repented from my sin and placed my trust in Jesus as my Savior. Okay, so having done that, having said that, having professed that, what then ought to be evident in the days and the weeks and the months and the years that follow. And I have a couple over here that I've uh, just grouped together under certain headings and uh, just trying to make this uh, a practical study uh, for us as well. So the very first thing uh, that uh, kind of evidence that we can look at is that real faith is involved. Have a look at verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, now this is not an uncommon Uh, example, certainly something that we would be exposed to, whether it be in the context of uh, Arcadia campus or even the Hill campus. And so what what happens then? And one of you says to them, uh, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So yeah, James is pointing out that there's a situation, there's a scenario of a particular person who arrives, who is in your particular face, in your uh, in circle of influence, your and and he's desperate. He's in a desperate situation. He's in urgent need, and and he's part of your congregation. He's not just somebody off the street. The the primary application over here, remember, it says if a brother or sister. This is a believer. This is somebody of the family of God. This is 
part of our congregation. This is part of our community of faith. So James says, okay, let's bring uh, this professing Christian into the picture. And uh, he, in his confrontation with this brother or sister, he has nothing more to offer but words. There's a couple of things to say. But the point that James is making and the question he's asking is when this person uh, comes and, 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 and you are aware of this person and, and you just say a few things to him, what, what good is that? What good will that do? Will, will words keep the man's back warm? Uh, will it keep its, his stomach full? And so the point that uh, James is making, and, and God certainly through James impressing this upon us, is that the kind of faith that just stops at words is worthless. There's some kind of engagement, some kind of uh, involvement. There, 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 there's an outworking that, that connects with, with people in need. And, and so uh, we could say, putting it slightly differently, is that good wishes, good wishes without good actions, expose the lie of just pious words spoken. And I do want to quote uh, one of my uh, Puritan favorites, Thomas Menton, on this particular issue. And I love these old guys and the way that they use language. And uh, th listen to him. He says, The belly is not filled with words or the back clothed with wishes. This is like that mad person who thought to pay his debts with the noise of money and instead of opening his purse, shaked it. The poor will not thank you for good wishes. Neither will God for saying that you have faith. And so the question is, is there some kind of involvement from you in the lives of others in need? And the need is not just hunger. It's not just the need to be warm. It can be any kind of thing. It could be a word of encouragement uh, that, 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 that can be expressed in a practical way, like a note doing something. It could be through a visit. It could be through a phone call. Uh, it could be, it could be uh, through sending a particular message, but, but doing something and not just saying something. And so the point as we move on gets to the central issue that, that uh, is being made in this particular passage is that real faith is not alone. Have a look at verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead. So what he's saying over here is action, action is the natural partner of faith. And so when it comes to nursery rhymes, just to try and illustrate my point, isn't it true that even a four-year-old little boy or little girl that Jack and Jill go together. And then we can give many examples of nursery rhymes where, where, where the one uh, name is mentioned, the other name automatically follows because they always go together. I thought also when it comes to fairy tales, we know that when we speak of beauty, uh, automatically it comes to mind that beast uh, is the uh, partner, the partner that belongs with, with beauty. And, and I remember, if uh, those of you are a little bit older, will also remember back in, when was it, the 70s and, and perhaps even the 60s, if, if maybe the 80s, I can't quite remember. But, but certainly in my younger days, the, the, the reality of Bryflas, Sunny Skies and Chevrolet, they always went together. That was kind of a, uh, just a, a thing that, that South Africans 
knew belonged together. And so the point is that there are certain things that we need to see, we need to understand, that cannot exist apart from the other. And the point being made in this passage is that authentic faith is like that. Real faith does not and cannot and must not stand on its own. It has a partner and the presence of the partner proves the existence of the faith. And so faith, yes, is either dead or alive. If it's dead, the partner is absent. Action is absent. Works are absent. So we ask ourselves then in in what way practically in, in the course of our lives, in our daily living, are you able to prove that your faith has a partner? Now, we all find ourselves in in circumstances or different circumstances, and it it could be in the context of a marriage where you have a spouse, husband and a wife. It could be in a family situation where there's parents and and children or a student, a believer that uh, someone who claims to be a a Christian who's a student or a child or a sibling in the family or an employer or an employee. And, and, And so in these different circumstances, what kind of demonstration is there what kind of evidence is there for people to see this person is different this person not only says he or she is a believer this person doesn't only say that they are followers of Jesus but there is supporting evidence there's some kind of um, action there's some kind of work uh, demonstration of mercy shown there's, there's an expression of love that, that is evident and, and it's not, again, words. It, it, it's shown in some kind of way and it can be where forgiveness may be, be given. It, it might be uh, love in, in coming alongside of someone and taking time, giving them the gift of time. And so there, there are these actions, these works that ought to be evident flowing from the person who has faith. So every recipient of grace, we are told, and I love this verse, it's a verse I often uh, repeat in the congregation and, and even in my own life, uh, we, we, we ought to be encouraged, we ought to know that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, the believer, description of the believer, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And don't forget that this is at the end of the passage that speaks about faith as a gift from God. Grace as a gift from God. Not that anyone can boast, but the reality is when the new creation comes into being, there ought to be this outworking of these good works and good works can, uh, I believe, can, can be evident in the process of sanctification. So there's a change in, in one's behavior morally and, and also in the actual tangible doing of, of, of works in the community and to the people around us. Which brings me to the third uh, bit of evidence where James speaks about real faith is visible. Verse 18. But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. And then show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So this imaginary argument is introduced to eliminate 
the belief, and uh, perhaps even it's an argument that some professing Christians produce, that yes, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, but we have different interests. We have a different emphasis in our particular experience. Let me give you an example, and I've come across this often with people. There are those people who say, you know what, uh, I like theology. And, and that's where I like to spend my time. That's where I spend my effort. That's where my life is focused. And, and, and so my interest is more on the theoretical side of things. Whereas you may be a more practical person and you get out there and, and, and you may feed a hungry person or you may uh, give a blanket to a person who is cold or, or you may come alongside of someone who needs just some encouragement in the course of being unemployed and, and, and help them with some a gift of finance. Now the point is this. This person is trying to hide behind an argument that says that there are all sorts of varieties of Christians, which is true. And we have different gifts, and, and I understand that, they, 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 that God makes us differently and God will use us differently. But this is the point. In every instance, there must be accompanying evidence. There must be a display of some sort, some expression of faith which points back to the profession of faith. And so that argument really falls flat. Uh, and, and again, this is a quote that I found amongst some of our older Puritan brothers. Uh, it falls flat in the way that it can be likened to the ridiculous notion that some people have the gift of breathing and others don't. Of course, that's, that's, that's rubbish. Every single person alive needs to breathe to stay alive. And, and if you want to see if they are alive, just listen to see if they're breathing. And, and so as Christians, the point that James is making, if you say you have faith, that means that you're alive. And there ought therefore to be evidence showing that you are alive. Moves us on to the fourth point of evidence. Real faith uh, involves the head and the heart. Verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Can you see some of the. Perhaps even a bit of sarcasm here coming from James. You believe that God is one. You do well. But then he carries on. Even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. I repeat that. And shudder. Have you ever thought about that? There is not a demon. In all of existence. In all of the universe. That is an atheist. They are thoroughgoing monotheists. <laughs> they know, they believe that God is one. I did a little bit of a search this afternoon in just checking some of the teaching of Jesus and uh, his work in uh, casting out demons and some of the conversations around that. And just to give you one example from Luke chapter 4 verse 41. There was no doubt that the demons knew that he was the Christ. And so knowledge in and of itself does not prove true faith. You see, the demons, they probably know the Apostles' Creed. They, they have no doubt in their mind. They, they know that God is creator. They know that Jesus was born of a virgin. They know the truth that the death of Jesus and the resurrection and ascension and, and even his coming return. And I'm sure that many of these demons uh, masquerading as angels of light, 
or great theologian in, theologians in the eyes of certain wayward people. The point is that even though the demons know certain things and even believe those things because they know them to be true, they shudder. They're not at peace. They bristle up, up like a frightened cat. The point being that there is belief, there is a belief which is not true saving faith. Real faith is not the mental accumulation of facts. It is belief that involves the heart. It's not just the head. That's the point. Not just the head. It's also the heart. Romans 10 verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There, yeah, there's the head. The head is important. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Head and the heart. Head and the heart. Romans 10 verse 10. For the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see the danger? It is, you're able, someone may be able to say something with the mouth. And we'll get on to that as we move on in the coming weeks. But it's not a reflection of what actually is in the heart. So an achievement in gaining knowledge without the application of the Holy Spirit's work in the heart, stop short of true saving faith. We understand the doctrine of regeneration. We understand Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Alternate translation really meaning the same thing. You must be born from above. Conversion, becoming a Christian, is a miracle of grace. There needs to be, there must be, not just words spoken, but there ought to be and, and, and needs to be the intervening, transforming, life-giving work of the Spirit. Again, back to Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. Verse 1. But what does verse 4 say? But God made you alive in Christ. And, and unless that has taken place, words are meaningless. They will not put you into a right standing with God. I love the old, uh, again, the old Puritans used to speak and some of the older uh, uh, theologians spoke of the quickening work of the Spirit. You and I all need to be recipients of the quickening work of the Spirit so that that which is in the head doesn't stand alone, but it also is, is, is that which flows and comes about because of this quickening, this making, uh, this, the Spirit making alive your Spirit uh, uh, to God in this uh, situation. Now two examples as we move on in our passage of real people. We know of them. We read of them in the Old Testament. Uh, James quoting in chapter 2 verse 20 to 25. And, and now he wants to, he wants to show. Uh, he wants to finally prove that you cannot automatically presume or assume. That a profession of faith is real saving faith. Both of these examples it is said that they are in a right standing with God. And very 
interestingly and easy to note, there are two people with very opposite life experiences, opposite walks of life. And I think it's intentional to convey a message that regardless of your own background experience, if you are a believer, there will be evidence to prove it. Now, the two people are Abraham and Rahab. Now, let me give you a couple of the differences. Abraham, a major biblical figure. Rahab, minor participant. Uh, Abraham, father of the faithful. Rahab, foreigner. Abraham, respected background. Rahab, prostitute. Of course, Abraham is a man. Rahab is a woman. Abraham, spoken of at this particular point, is a mature believer. And Rahab, a new believer. So then let's have have a look at these verses. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Do you see the evidence of his faith? Obedience to God in carrying out an extremely difficult uh, act. Chapter 2 verse 25. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Do you see her faith uh, that that was a new faith wasn't just well I'm 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 a, I'm a believer no 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 she was prepared to act on that belief and do something and so the point is when God gives the gift of saving faith the evidence of the new creation will be there to see and so focus as I conclude this uh, short Bible study tonight. Uh, two fundamental truths that we see from the scripture tonight. And I want to remind you of my opening illustration of the high performance car. Uh, and uh, you've got to ask yourself, you know, it, are, 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 can you liken your life to the high performance car that don't, doesn't only make a noise, but also can produce the goods robot to robot? Or are you simply a, a 50cc uh, with a hole in the exhaust making a lot of noise? meaningful and going to be useless as it were in any competitive race and so not to make light of this two things we need to see salvation is by faith alone that is not the issue James is not challenging that issue salvation is by faith alone coming to God with empty hands nothing in my hands I bring simply to your cross I cling receiving from him uh, the gift that is on offer, this free gift that Jesus has accomplished uh, by uh, through his finished work on the cross. Number one. Number two, salvation is by faith that is not alone. It's been the concern of James right from the beginning of this book. And and, and we need to see this. It's, it, it's, not, it's not works that earn salvation. It's works that result from salvation. And so we, we, we need to think about this. Many professing Christians, people who say they are believers, sometimes keep a pew warm or a chair filled on a Sunday morning. Some have precious membership certificates tucked away in a file somewhere, but nothing else. Nothing else to show, nothing else to prove that there's any kind of genuine faith. Many have religion in the head, 
but not in the heart. And the point is, really sober response is they're deceived. It is possible to be someone who is languishing in a false sense of security. There must be faith. But as a result, there ought to be works. So the challenge for us all, all of us, let us not presume any one of us uh, is exempt from this kind of challenge. Scrutinize, let us scrutinize our lives before God. Stand in front of the mirror. We know the mirror is the word of God and ask the spirit of God to turn the lights on. Look for the evidence. In some ways, 21st century language, the point I've been trying to make tonight, authentic faith is in some way like calories. You can't see them, but you can always see the results. Normally on the hips or on the tummy. You see, folk, if the proof is there, wow, you have every reason to rejoice, every reason with great humility to be thankful for to God for his steadfast love toward you. But if there's an absence of fruit, you ought to be concerned. And, and I would urge you, I would urge you to go back uh, and, and, and back to the basics of, of being at the foot of the cross, pleading with God to give you a new heart, replacing the heart of stone. Pleading with God to save you from your sin, from a life of, of, of selfishness, receiving from him the gift of grace through the instrument of faith. So just so far tonight, and uh, let me pray, and then we'll give you some of the questions again for discussion. Lord, a challenging passage and uh, should leave us all tonight at least willing to ask and look for uh, the evidence that ought to uh, Prove the authenticity of saving faith. And may there be even someone tonight, Lord, who listening for the first time to your word, experience the blessing of a true conversion, a true heart transplant, knowing that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Continue with us, Lord, in our daily lives, and may we indeed live out each and every day the change that, it, that, that flows from hearts that have been changed. Thank you for our church again. Thank you for every individual person. And Lord, thank you for your continued work among us and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to conclude then, just the questions, they are there. Uh, just for you to glance at, really just a summary. I thought it was important that we talk about those uh, aspects of evidence. If you're not meeting in a group, perhaps it's an opportunity to use this in a quiet time as well. And so God bless you, be with you, and looking forward again as we come together on Sunday on the Lord's Day, uh, worshipping together as God's people, either at the Hill Campus or at the Arcadia Campus. So good night. And, and God bless.